Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. The purpose of the resurrection is really pretty simple. It is God's stamp of approval upon the sacrifice of his son in regards to paying for the sin of all mankind. It is a fact that God could only accept a perfect sacrifice. Today I want to look at that from a little different perspective. This Easter, if I was to ask you to put down on a 3x5 card everything you knew about Korah's rebellion, how would you do? This will probably be the first and last time you ever hear it preached on Easter, but I think there is a whole lot we can learn from it. And so turn in your Bibles with me to the Korah Rebellion. We find that in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Those might be the pages that are still stuck together. Korah, chapter, Korah, Numbers, chapter 16. Verse 1. Um, it says, Now Kor, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Have you ever heard this question? How can you Christians claim that there is only one way to God? Isn't that terribly narrow-minded for you to make such an assertion? Where people go wrong is they think you can approach God the same way you do in buying toothpaste. Like it's just a matter of personal preference. Now, in this story, we have the Old Testament counterpart to John 14:6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And what I want us to see is the idea of the uniqueness of God's approach through the one that he ordains. This is not just a New Testament concept, but it goes all the way back to the Torah. Now the background of number 16 is they have been given the law, and now they are making their way through the wilderness heading to the promised land. But now we run into a problem. 
some of the people decide now is a good time to start complaining. Here is their beef with Aaron and Moses. Specifically, they don't like rules, and they don't like the fact that God has placed a mediator between himself and the people. As you know, God required the high priest to sacrifice an animal for the sins of the people, and they were saved then through faith by that sacrifice. You can almost imagine their conversation with Moses and Aaron. You've probably heard it before. It goes like this. Now let me get this straight. You're telling me I can't come to God on my own terms. Of all the narrow-minded, bigoted things I have ever heard, you have the audacity to tell me that God has prescribed one and only one way to approach him. Well, Moses, I watched Oprah just this morning, and both she and I strongly disagree with you. Look at verse 4. So when Moses heard this, he fell on his face, and he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses he will cause to come near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company, put fire in them, and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the Holy One. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. Verse 4 says, Moses fell on his face. Sometimes people wonder if we will be able to recognize people when we get to heaven. I think Moses will be easy to spot. He'll be the guy with the flat nose because he's always falling on his face before the Lord. So Moses will have a flat nose and Peter will probably have a foot protruding from his mouth. Just kidding, Pete. I wasn't praying to a saint just then. We better move on. But seriously, Moses gives us a great example Whenever a problem arises, he humbles himself by falling on his face before the Lord. And I have to believe that maybe if we would fall on our faces before we face a problem, we wouldn't have to fall on our face in the failing sense after we have tried to resolve the issue in our own strength. So anyway, Moses says, well, let's not just stand here arguing theology. Let's just go ahead and have a test. You take some censers and offer them before God, and we will see if God will accept your worship on your terms without the mediation of the priest. Verse 8. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to serve them? And that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you. And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? Moses now tells them in verse 9 where their problem lies. He says, your problem is with you. It's not with us. And that problem is pride. 
Moses tells them that God has separated you and blessed you above the other tribes to serve him in a special capacity. But you have allowed this to go to your head. And now that you think that you are so important, you don't like the idea that there's now just one way to approach God. Now man has an innate problem with that. If you just talk about religion and a generic God, man has no problem with that. But when you mention a blood-stained cross, you now have issues. The cross to an intelligent man is foolishness, and the cross to a self-righteous man is insulting. You're telling me that I'm no better off than the worst of men, and I have to come to God the same way they do? Well, now that offends me. What astounds me is nothing has changed. Even this day, mankind is so hard that we still can't stomach the idea of coming to God on his own terms. They didn't like it then, and we don't like it now. Think back. The first time someone told you that your deeds of righteousness were no better than filthy rags in God's sight, did that not offend you? Or did you smite your breast and say, Oh, tell me more of my vile state, thou man of God. I doubt it. Please listen to me. The false idea that I can approach God myself without Jesus as my representative is the crux of Christianity. There are many theological errors you can make and still not cost you your soul. But this is not one of them. To reject Christ as the only way is to reject the very nature of God and his reality. Let's go down to verse 31. Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, with their households and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all they with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. So that they and all that belonged to them went down alive to the pit. And the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. By the way, that's always the ending of the rebellious. Their end will always be the pits. They go down to the pit of despondency, the pit of despair, and finally the pit of destruction, and then they simply just disappear. Think of all the movie or rock stars who have died by accident or suicide, and you will see that their memory fades more and more with every passing year. I ask you, how much this week have you thought about Jimi Hendrix or Robin Williams? Man is but a mist that appears only for a moment. Now this whole event is extremely sobering. God says, you are so contemptible to me. I want you and everything you own to completely disappear from my sight. Happy Easter. 
Well, the only problem now is God has now convinced that generation that you don't come on your own terms. But now we're going to need a sign, a sort of a Sunday school lesson to those who will come later. Verse 36. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar. Because they presented them before the Lord, therefore they are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar, to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descender of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Kor and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. Now, Exodus teaches us that the censers for burning incense were to be made out of pure gold. And yet those in the rebellion used brass instead of gold. Why would they have to do that? Some scholars believe that this was the same exact group that pressured Aaron into making the golden calf in Exodus 32. And if that's the case, they may have had to use brass since they had used up all the gold to make the golden calf. You see, it's not up to us to mold ourselves into some position of authority. And yet what I find comforting is the Lord uses the brass censers even though they were used in rebellion against him. Not only that, he even calls them holy. But to be used, they had to be beaten, broken, and hammered. This is the Romans 8.28 principle. God will make holy and use for the good even our sin if we are truly his children. But that means sometimes we will have to suffer the consequences of our rebellious choices. And then and only then can we be used to our full capacity. Hebrews 5.8 tells us, Although he was a son, Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. That's true in our lives also. The things which we really have to offer other people and share have come from the crucible of suffering. So Moses says this is a reminder and a sign of the generations that follow so this sort of thing doesn't have to happen again. You see, when you approach God through the tabernacle, it had a 30-foot opening for the door. It's like the arms of God bidding all men to come in. But when you came, you came by a very narrow portal, the altar of sacrifice. And unless you came by that shed blood of that sacrifice, you were prohibited to come into his presence. Now anyone can come, but you have to come God's way. And there is no plan B. I don't care if you are a king or a slave, no one approaches except through the shedding of blood. So you would teach your children for generations after this, so this lesson would not be lost on them. And so when you take your child up to this opening, you can tell them that although the arms of God are wide open in invitation, we have to come a certain way, and that is we come by a sacrifice who has died in our place. You would then say to your child, 
Now you notice that plating? That wasn't originally there. It's a sign and a reminder to us. Now let me tell you the story behind this. And then you would tell them the story of a people who in pride and arrogance decided they knew better than God and tried to come their own way. You would then tell your child, and so always make sure you come the right way. When I typed that, it reminded me of Hebrews 10.29, which says, How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? Well, how do you think these people receive this news? Amazingly, despite all they have witnessed, they still don't get it. Verse 41. But on the next day, all the congregation, the sons of Israel, grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You are the ones who caused the death of the Lord's people. It came about, however, when the congregation had assembled against Moses and Aaron, that they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. Then Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from this congregation, that I may consume them instantly. Then they fell on their faces. Can you even believe these people? God has just opened up the earth and swallowed people alive. And the very next day, these guys blame Moses and Aaron. Look, this church may drive me crazy, but you guys ain't nearly as bad as these cats. Please take note that Moses doesn't even have to say anything. God just interrupts and says, in effect, forget just killing the 250. I'm going to wipe out the entire lot of them. Sadly, once again, this is nothing new. When God was giving Moses the Ten Commandments, the people were dancing naked around a golden calf. Listen to what God says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way that I commanded them. They had made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who has brought you up out of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. Now let me alone that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. Basically, God is saying of the nation the same thing Bill Cosby once told one of his kids. And that was, boy, I'll kill you and make another one that looks just like you. Verse 46, Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put it in the fire from the altar and lay incense on it and bring it out quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone forth from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put, he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. He took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. 
It says Aaron took his place between the dead and the living. I love that. Is that not a beautiful picture of what Jesus did at the cross? Where he was lifted up and the fragrance of his sacrifice arose and placated the wrath of a holy God just as Aaron's fragrance arises. And we see the plague was checked because of the sufficiency of his sacrifice. Just as Jesus came into the world and died upon the cross and because of that at Easter, death has now been checked. This is one of the great pictures in the Old Testament of the atonement. It's also a beautiful portrait of Christ who stands between the dead and the living, always making intercession for us. He is the one who stops the plague of sin. And that's a good thing. For you see, we were the jealous, we were the grumblers, and we were the rebellious. Well, we have a sign of death, but now God says, I need to give them a sign of life that is just as affirming to the sufficiency of Aaron as being the high priest as I do as a sign of death as to the deficiency of men. And so in Numbers chapter 17, the Lord does this. Verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and get them a rod for each father's household, twelve rods from all their leaders according to their father's households. You shall write each man's name, or write each name on his rod, and write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, for there is one rod for the head of each of their father's households. You shall then deposit them in the tent of meeting in front of the testimony where I meet with you. Now these rods are just more than sticks. They were the equivalent of the Jewish coat of arms. They had the lineage of each tribe written on them. And so when those 12 rods were laid down, it was representative of the 12 tribes that made up the entire nation. Moses says, we're going to lay these dead sticks down, and the man that I choose will sprout. In other words, we're going to have a resurrection. We're going to have life from the dead. You lay them there that evening, you go to bed, and the next morning there will be new life on just one of them. Verse 5. It will come about that the rod of the man whom I choose will sprout. Thus I will lessen from upon myself the grumblings of the sons of Israel who are grumbling against you. Moses therefore spoke to the sons of Israel and all their leaders gave him a rod apiece for their lead for each leader according to their father's households, twelve rods, with the rod of Aaron among their rods. So Moses deposited the rods before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. Do you get what God is saying there in verse 5? He is saying, by doing this, I will finally get some relief from hearing the grumblings of you who are arguing about who should be the greatest. I imagine that next morning had to be charged with electricity as they all went in to see whom the Lord had chosen. Guess which rod blossomed? It was the one that belonged to the man the Lord had previously already chose. And you know what? Over the centuries there have been a lot of great men and women who have died and who have been laid down before God. But only one has been raised up on his own. 1 Corinthians 15:20 says, 
But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Only God can do that. Look at verse 8. Now on the next day Moses went into the tent of the testimony, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms and it bore ripe almonds. Moses then brought out all the rods from the presence of the Lord to all the sons of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. But the Lord said to Moses, Put back the rod of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, that you may put an end to their grumblings against me, so that they will not die. Thus Moses did, just as the Lord had commanded him, so he did. We see in verse 8 that Aaron's rod produced, um, or produced blossoms and even bore ripe almonds. This made Aaron very happy. And that's where you get the term almond joy. <laughs> hey, hey. I could have said Aaron told him this bud's for you, but I held back. <laughs> This is a miraculous event. Even on the best of days, something like this doesn't occur where there is an actual resurrection from the dead. Now imagine if you had an apple tree in your yard, and one day in September, a windstorm broke off one of the branches. You don't think anything about it because you're so busy, and you never get the chance to throw it away. But one day, you happen to be walking in your yard the next May, and you see the branch and decide to go ahead and dispose of it. How shocked would you be if upon picking up that branch, you see several luscious and ripe apples dangling from it? That would pretty much constitute a miracle, I would say. Now, what did all these 12 staffs have in common before they were brought into the testimony? They were all dead pieces of wood, and they had been broken off from their life source. In this story, we see that the staff of Aaron blooms. Now, if a normal staff cannot bloom because it has been cut off from its life source, then the staff of Aaron only bloomed because it had been attached to a life source, which was God himself. I love verse 9 where it says, Each man looked and took his own rod. And that is what is required of every human being. To look and to see that I and my glory and my best attempts at works have no hope whatsoever. And so they took their dead, cold, inert rods. This is really the message of Easter and the resurrection. The purpose in verse 10, it was a sign to the rebels. Any person who thinks... He can reject my method and my mediation and come to me on his own terms. Here is a sign. And it is this. There is but one person who has my approval and my righteousness. And through him, I will give life to anyone who comes through him so that they will not die. All you have to do is come through the mediator that I have chosen. The Apostle Peter would write this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And so the question this Easter is, are we because of that one day going to go to heaven? Well, is Christ at the right hand of the Father, ascended and seated? Yes. And if he is there, then we who are his body will be there also. We have an anchor to the soul, steadfast and sure, that enters the veil, a high priest for us forever and ever. So, in closing, back to my original question from the beginning. How can you Christians say that Jesus is the only way? We proclaim it because it is the very thing that God has revealed. He will not accept your rod, no matter how beautiful it may be. Any more than he would accept Adam's covering of fig leaves. He rejected them, killed an innocent animal, and used that to cover him. My friends, we in time and space and language cannot go beyond Numbers chapter 16 and 17. It's a sign to us rebels that God only accepts the man of his choosing. That is why he is called Christ, the Anointed One. And that is really what Easter is all about. Father, I pray you would drive that truth home in every heart represented here. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And this resurrection day, God took your sacrifice and placed his approval upon it, for it was truly finished, just like you said from the cross. If anyone in here, Lord, does not know you as their Savior, what better day than Easter to come to know you? Touch every heart in here, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.